Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, saints. All right. Uh, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to Psalm 23. We're in a series on wisdom. We're anchoring it primarily in the book of Proverbs. A key statement is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We define the fear of the Lord as making room for God in our thoughts, our affections, convictions, plans, and activities. Not passively, but proactively. Making much room for Him, reverencing Him, and His truth. Last week we focused on David's statement in Psalm 27. One thing, David said. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. And I heard a lot of feedback from last Sunday, and I am encouraged by it. The Lord used it as kind of the one thing message now, right? One thing. As we come into a new ministry season, uh, we need to focus on one thing. The very presence and the power of God walking with him, making room for him to fellowship uh, with him. So this morning we're going to look at familiar ground and we're going to scan the scriptures, if you will. We're going to look at milestones in scripture as a follow-up to last Sunday because David's one thing sentiment is not a random inspirational thought that, that happens to be in the middle of your Bible. That message literally permeates scripture. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. Every generation, every believer needs to have the resolve to seek the Lord with an undivided heart. The Lord and His wisdom. So I ask you to turn to Psalm 23. You might be familiar, this is, the, this is uh, called the Shepherd's Psalm. It is a beloved psalm. Every Every passage we'll be looking at this morning is most likely well known by most people. But what I really want to show you is that the Lord is always beckoning us to himself. Away from the the clamor, the chaos, everything around us to find our strength in him. Psalm 23 is a beloved psalm. The shepherd psalm, because it shows us God's care for us in the most personal and tender and beautiful way, now and into eternity. But I want you to see the mind of the Lord, how, how there are so many details that we sometimes don't see. God's word, it's like you look in a microscope and the further down you go, the more astounding it is. Let me tell you how Psalm 23 is formed. In the original Hebrew, there are 55 words. Right in the middle of that beautiful psalm is the phrase, for he is with me in hebrew that's three words for he is with me there are 26 words that precede that statement and there are 26 words that follow that statement 
Would you know that in the first 26 words before that statement, God is in the third person? Look at it. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. And then there's the valley of the shadow of death. But God, but he is with me. It's the heart of that beautiful psalm. But then there's a shift. The latter 26 words, God is now in the first person. It is more personal than it was even in the beginning. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. God, even in the movement of that one psalm, God is shown as more personal as we go through that psalm. Great precision, great thought is put into all of these scriptures. So this morning we travel through familiar ground. We're going to look at some milestones, if you will, in scripture. My goal is to show that the one thing, message, it's all throughout God's word. Every generation needs to hear it. Every generation needs to embrace it. And every single one of us personally need to embrace it and renew that resolve on a regular basis. So I take you first to the book of Joshua. Joshua is towards the beginning of your Bible. After Deuteronomy. I'd like to take you to Joshua chapter 24. You might recall that Joshua is the one who took the Israelites into the promised land. Moses was disqualified from doing so himself. Joshua is the one who brought them in. Towards the end of his life, I mean, those were big shoes for him to, to follow, Moses. By the way, uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of verses this morning, so get your fingers limbered up. Um, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Andrew read from this earlier this morning. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. There's always a fork in the road. Whether the gods, lowercase, your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my household, as for me, the stake is in the ground. I will serve the Lord. I will worship him. I will honor him. I will be careful to do what he tells me to do to align my life in accordance with him. How many of you are familiar with this verse? It's a very, very well-known and a very beloved verse. You have likely seen it somewhere on a wall in your home or someone else's home. Now, here's why I'm taking you to this verse. After this statement, after this event, shortly thereafter, Joshua died. 
This was his parting shot. And it says that the elders, those who were leaders alongside with him, who outlived him, continued to serve the Lord. That generation continued to, to serve and to worship and to honor God. But you flip the page into the book of Judges and you are soon confronted with this reality in Judges chapter 2. It says that another generation rose up. It's verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their families and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They did not know him nor were they familiarized with the wonderful things that God had done. And so the inevitable is verse 11. All the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baal. One generation. One generation. You might know that the book of Judges literally is this, right? The, 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 the Israelites would wander from God, then they would repent, they would serve him, then they would wander and over and over again. I take you now to the exile. Jeremiah chapter 29. So time has passed. Centuries have gone by. And indeed, unfortunately, the Israelites did not seek the Lord with an undivided heart. In, in fact, quite the opposite. They regularly wandered from him. They dishonored him. They did not worship him. They did not love their neighbor. They did not live as the people of God should. They are now in exile. They are now in Babylon. They are now in a foreign land. Jerusalem has been ransacked. But please note the heart of God. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. The heart of God for his people. It's beautiful. We love this verse, and rightly so, because it's a reminder of God's, his, uh, his sentiments towards us. How many of you know this verse? How many of you have seen this verse before? A lot of hands go up. Do not raise your hands for this question. How many know the context? We've talked about it just a little bit. So the Israelites are now in exile there's a background to what God is saying here. He's speaking specifically and directly to the Israelites who are under his hand of judgment at the moment. So back it up and look at verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, this is right beforehand, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Even when they, I mean, they could not have messed up worse than they did. They literally are now in Babylon. But God is faithful. God is good. 
He says, you give me two generations, I'll get you back. I'll bring you back. That's my promise. And that promise was fulfilled not because they they were something else, but because God is faithful. But look at verse 12. This is the verse right afterwards. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. You'll find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. That's David's one thing. You see, the Lord is to be sought and worshipped and honored with all of our heart. It's not the main thing with a lot of side gigs on the, on the side. It's the one thing. And every time God addresses this in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, it is the same unyielding message. Seek me, worship me, honor me with an undivided heart. Let's jump to the New Testament, shall we? Let's read Jesus. Matthew chapter 6. These are the the red letter words. I'm taking you to familiar territory. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is Jesus' inaugural sermon, if you will, the Sermon on the Mount. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. First and foremost, this is what you seek, this is what you go after. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is true that each of us, we do need to work. We do need to earn a living. We do need to support ourselves or our families. But he says, don't seek those things. Those are things that you do and you do well to the honor and to the glory of God. But that's not what you're after. That's not what drives you. That's not what what is your main focus in life. You want to do it well and do it with excellence, of course. But there's one thing that you're seeking. And that is the kingdom of God. Jesus did not mince words. You probably have not seen this one hung on someone's wall. Luke chapter 5. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9. Verse 59. Jesus did not mince words in regards to following him. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. The most tender of personal duties. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Everything in our life. This was obviously a direct statement to a specific individual. But you hear what Jesus is saying. Follow me first and foremost in all things. He also said, of course, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Let's go to the apostles. 
We're just kind of going through Scripture, kind of some main, main milestones. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Last week, we ended with the last verse in the chapter. No, sorry, last verse in a section, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's your catch-all, right? Everything you do, do it all to his glory. Whether it's the mundane things throughout the day that you just got to do, right? You got to take the trash out, right? Do it to the glory of God. But watch how this section is framed. The bookend, the front bookend to this section is verse 1. Begins in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you have been raised with Christ, that is synonymous with if you are a believer, If you're born again, seek the things that are above. And he will explain what he means by that. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. Our mind is so important. Romans chapter 12. We looked at this last week. But renew your minds Don't be molded into the world's mold, but renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Set your mind on things that are above, that are eternal. Seek first the kingdom of God. Verse 3. Why? Here's the rationale. For you have died, and your life is hidden With Christ in God. That's your identity. That's who you are. The old Colin is gone. The new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. So with that in mind, he says, set your mind, your thoughts, train yourself, your thoughts to think about those things which are above where Christ is, that are associated with Him. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Saints, that is the end goal, the end result of our salvation. Paul speaks to it. Peter speaks to it. Every time you see a treatment of salvation, it always ends with glory. Because that is what Christ, that is what God has saved us to in Christ. And so he says, look at how verse 4 flows directly from verse 3. He says, when Christ who is your Life. He does not say that Jesus is top of the list with 27 things under the list that rival or conflict with the number one spot. 
He bypasses that completely. When Christ, who is your life, that is your identity. You are in Christ. And Christ is your life. Now, I'd like to make a connection and an assertion. And none of this will or should surprise you. I'm going to take you back to some of those same passages and demonstrate this. God's wisdom and God's word are inseparable. When we seek God, we are attentive to his word. When we live for God, we do so in accordance with his revealed word. He does not write, as my pastor used to say, he does not write with a number two pencil and then, oh my goodness, here we are in 2022. Let me flip my pencil around with my eraser, scratch that. Thank you for enlightening me. This is how it should be. No. When we worship God and serve him and live for him, our straight edge is the word of God. Now... So let's go back to Joshua. You thought you were in the New Testament, but here we go right back to the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 1. This is the bookend. This is the front end. This is Joshua now taking the reins, bringing the people into the promised land. A big milestone. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What Joshua says, David said. Write mathematically in the middle of Psalm 23, for he is with me. No matter what storm you are in, no matter what valley you currently reside in, God is with you. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. And so Joshua says, all these scary people around you who are bigger than you, their armies are bigger than you, all of that, don't worry. I brought you here. Honor me, serve me, and I will guide and protect you. So where do we get this courage from? I'm glad you asked. Back up one more verse. Verse 8. Again, this is likely familiar territory. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. What Joshua says, David says in the very first psalm. You shall meditate on it day and night so that, watch this, you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. All in the Hebrew actually means the same as it does in English. It's the same thing. All of it. Not the part that you like. Not the part that we fancy. Not the part that comes easy. But he says all of it. 
We honor God by honoring his word, by living according to his word, all of it, not some of it. And we set our mind upon it. We meditate, that is, we read thoughtfully as we go through it. So here's the word to the Israelites. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. That's it. Know me. Know my word. Obey me. Honor me. Worship me. Love your neighbor. It's all there. So what about Jesus? What I'm trying to demonstrate is this one thing theme is all throughout the Bible. And connected to that one thing is our pathway to know God, to love him, to serve him, is rooted in his revealed word, the word of God. John chapter 8, back in the New Testament. John chapter 8. Another red letter edition of God's word. Perhaps the most underrepresented verse in our generation that our generation really needs to heed. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. To follow me is to give heed to my words. To not make up the rules as you go, but to heed the truth and the word of God. Followed by a fantastically liberating and beautiful statement. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It'll set you free. I'm just telling you, it will set you free. That's Jesus. So let's continue to the right, back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I realized this morning that God's word is doing most of the speaking, and I trust you would agree that's a good thing, actually. So Colossians chapter 3, I'm taking you back to these, these passages that we looked at, and I want you to see that connected to this one thing theme is the word of God theme. You can't separate the two. Right When Proverbs chapter 2 says to seek for wisdom as you would hidden treasures, that is analogous with seeking God and seeking his word, living by his truth, meditating on his word. So Colossians chapter 3 begins, as we just saw, with this tremendous statement, when Christ who is your life, that's your framework. This chat, this section ends in verse 17. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Look at what comes right before it. Look at what comes right before it. Verse 16. It's so exciting. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Permit it. Make it so. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It will not dwell in you richly if we do not give it the time of day. It's just the truth. 
He does not say, read it hurriedly when you have a chance, when you're done with everything else. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But he doesn't stop there. This is body life. This is what church is designed to be. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is a series on wisdom. And I would just like to point out that wisdom comes right next to God's word. The two are inseparable. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's the context. That's the precursor to verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How do we do everything to the glory of God? We first frame the world around us and the world inside our life. And that is Christ is our life. I have died and I now live for him. I let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. So the word of God governs my thoughts, my convictions, my principles, my ideologies, my, my worldview, my actions in the moment. We all, we've all been there. When mm, something, somebody said something and it takes everything inside of you just to let the mouth shut. That's what he's referring to. So saints... I commend to you this wonderful truth from David. One thing. This is the change of seasons. We're entering into fall technically in a few weeks, but school is starting this week. Um, People are going back to college. Everything's changing. Now is a good time to take stock and to keep the one thing, the one thing. Two more verses. Old, uh, New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a passage that we recently, this past Tuesday, went through in our Tuesday morning men's study. We're going through 2 Corinthians. I want you to look at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, praise God, there is freedom. There is liberty. Now watch this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image. From one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This greater passage is contrasting Moses, the old covenant, and Jesus, the new covenant. Remember when Moses went up to the mountain and he had to cover, he had to veil himself because the glory of the Lord and spare the people seeing the glory of the Lord because he had been right in the presence of God. In the same way, we have boldness to go directly to the throne of grace. And here's what I want you to see. Remember, this is all throughout the Bible. When we do what David says, when we seek him, when we desire him and we seek him first and foremost, 
the one thing. When we take time personally before the Lord on a regular basis to refresh and to renew and to calibrate our thinking, this is actually how Christian growth occurs. Have you ever asked yourself, how do I grow as a Christian? Like, how do I grow and how do I actually mature? Praise God, he is always at work in our life, moving us in the direction that we should be. My youth pastor, Bob Scholl, when I was a senior in high school, he became the youth pastor at Reston Bible Church. He would always say this. He said, I hope and pray that in five years I will not struggle with the same sins that I am now. Because he's want, he, what he was saying was, I want to be growing as a Christian. I want to be in a different place in the future than I am now. But can I just show you and highlight the, the, the beauty of this verse? From one degree of glory to another until that day when I see Jesus Christ face to face and I am fully and completely transformed into his image. That is the gospel promise that he will conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Fully and finally and forever. But until that day. When he, he who began a good work will complete it. And he is completing it now. He is transforming us. And it is not pleasant most of the time. Because he's rooting out who we used to be. One last verse then we're done. So do you see what he's saying here? You see the Lord clearly. You set your mind on the Lord. As David said, you consider the excellencies of God. That's where he grows you. Back to the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. Here is the background. Things were not going so well in Israel. A common refrain. David actually was a part of that problem. David repents. David says, I'm going to set up an altar and I'm going to make a sacrifice to the Lord to show uh, the repentance in my heart and me going in the right direction. So he identifies a place, a threshing floor that he would like to make the, to use to make a sacrifice, an altar, build an altar. And the guy, you can't blame him. He's like, well, here's the king of Israel saying, I want this so I can you know, make a sacrifice to the Lord. He said, it's yours. It, there's no charge. Please take it. I don't blame him. But watch David's response. Verse 24 of 2 Samuel 24. But the king said to him, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. Watch this. I will not offer burnt offering to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So he bought it. I will not make a sacrifice. I will not worship him. I will not honor him in such a way that it doesn't cost me anything. Saints, this morning I leave you with two thoughts. Two thoughts. One of them from last week. One thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek. What's your one thing? If the one thing is not your one thing, but it's your 16 things, 
switch it to the one thing. We all need to hear this. Remember, I am not coming at anyone this morning or last week trying to lay a guilt trip. It is the best possible place for us. It is the best possible place for us. For I know the thoughts that I have for you, declares the Lord. Second thought is what we just read. I won't offer anything that doesn't cost me something. If you were to look at your walk with the Lord, how would you characterize it? Make time for him when I can? Obey him when it's easy? Or is it costing me something? Saints, when we press into the Lord in that way, with that mindset, I promise you, that's where growth occurs. And when you find yourself in the storm, his presence, his promises, his truth, his strength, his support, and down the road is what you need. Be intentional. So let's make this practical. My final thought. Oftentimes, the conventional wisdom is, well, if you're in a rut or if you've kind of strayed from your own personal time with God, we call them quiet times, devotions, whatever. Try, with, try five minutes a day and go from there. That, God bless anyone who says that, it doesn't work. And here's why. Think of it in terms of a workout, working out, exercising, anything. Five minutes is barely enough time to warm up. If we're honest, five minutes is just enough time maybe to undistract yourself from all the things that you're thinking about. And if that is where you are at, I'm, just, I'm telling you that it's, it will not help you. If it's a start, wonderful. But I propose a different plan. This week, go for 30 minutes, but pick one day. Rather than stretch yourself kind of thin every single day, because we do want to get to the place where regularly, daily, we are spending time with the Lord that is meaningful. Do this instead. Set aside half an hour, at least one day. And really dive in. You might find yourself going over half an hour. But my encouragement to you simply is this. Be intentional. Seek after the Lord. Seek his wisdom. Seek him. And do it in a way that is meaningful. That will ultimately help you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. For your faithfulness, for your kindness, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we always pray, if there is but one person who has not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, where they acknowledge and admit their own sin their inability to rectify their own problem and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and put their faith and their confidence in Him and in Him alone, believing that He died for their sins and rose again. 
Oh, Lord, there are so many challenges in life. There are so many things and events and people that can distract us, that can discourage us, that can, can cause us such distress. Oh, Lord, may we be resolved to seek you all the more. To find our strength in that quiet place. To align our lives with your truth more and more each day. To delight more and more in your word, which is alive and active. Oh Lord, you know what each and every one of us needs this morning. Minister in our life, we pray. Ultimately, draw us closer to you. And may we encourage one another to do the same. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.